0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Pro Bono Radio at Queen's Law. I'm your host, Glenn. Queen's Law Pro Bono Radio discusses interesting and off-center legal topics that aim to make legal discussions more accessible to you. However, this podcast does not contain legal advice. Pro Bono Students Canada is a student organization. This podcast was prepared with the assistance of PBSC Queen's Law student volunteers. PBSC students are not lawyers, and we are not authorized to provide legal advice. We are exploring legal topics that we think you find interesting, and if you require legal advice, please consult with an actual lawyer. This week's show takes a dive into the world of cryptocurrency, blockchain, and the new world of NFTs, for non-fungible tokens, as we take a look at their explosive growth in the last couple months and what the future holds for them. The focus today will be to provide an introduction to, as to what NFTs are as well as some of the current legal questions surrounding their use, particularly in the copyright, contract and ownership settings. If you've been following the news lately, you might have come across some crazy headlines about digital artwork selling for tens of millions of dollars. Canadian musician Grimes sold copies of her digital music videos with original music in February, bringing in a total of $6 million for the pieces sold. Many other artists have followed suit, with artists like Canadian Jock Green selling the rights to his latest single as an NFT for roughly $22,000. Other digital items like animated characters, NBA highlight clips, and even digital houses have been fetching an ever-increasing price tags as a result of this boom that has taken the art world by storm. The blockbuster headline has been the piece of digital art sold by Mike Winkleman, also known as Beeple bringing in a whopping $69.3 million at an auction earlier this month held at Christie's Auction House, which is often home to some of the rarest pieces of art in the world. That price puts this piece as the third highest price ever achieved by a living artist, putting him up there with the likes of Jeff Koons and David Hockney. The piece itself was a collection of artwork that Winkleman spent the past 5,000 days prior to the sale drawing and an image of the artwork in its massive glory can be viewed with a quick Google search. So why did this JPEG fetch such a high price tag and what on earth is an NFT? To make sense of why this artwork has been selling for as much as it has been, it is best to first get an idea of what exactly this term we keep using, NFT or non-fungible token, really means. To start, it is best if I explain about how blockchain works in order for us to understand what NFTs actually are. In its simplest form, a blockchain is essentially a chain of blocks where each individual block contains some sort of information. Think of it kind of like a ledger or those cards in library books where you would write your name down on a list of other names and the date that you checked out the book, as well as when it was due. Blockchain is essentially the same system, but much more high tech, each quote block. And again, it's hard to kind of picture what these blocks are, but it's essentially a collection of data that contains three key components. The data of the block or whatever data is being stored, so like a Bitcoin or that JPEG of the Beeple painting, as well as the block's hash and the hash of the previous block. Hashes are unique to each block, kind of like a fingerprint, and help identify the specific block and all of the data on it. These are changed if anything in the block is changed, so any changes that do occur will be really obvious as the whole hash will change. The hash of the previous block ties the current block to the, well, previous block and creates sort of a chain of blocks, hence the name blockchain. All of these features make blockchain quite secure as all blocks are tied to the next and previous blocks directly in front of them and before them. So if a hash of a block was changed, the hash information for that block on the next block won't line up. You can locate exactly the incorrect block in the chain. To help protect against hacks, Another feature, proof of work, is utilized by the blockchain. Proof of work is a security feature which slows down the generation of new hashes for a certain time period where the computer checks its work and finds the errors. As computers are super powerful at the moment, new hashes can be generated for the altered block in seconds and hacks might not be noticed in time. So proof of work helps to give the changes some room to breathe so that people have time to catch the problems and find the altered block. After the proof-of-work time has passed, a new block can then be added to the chain. Finally, blockchain is distributed on a peer-to-peer network where anyone and everyone on the network can see all of the blocks out there. This is what, if you've heard of the term before, quote, distributed ledger refers to. When a new block, so let's say a Bitcoin, is added to the chain, it gets added to everyone on the network's chains, and they help to verify that it is a legit block This helps to create a consensus about the validity of blocks on the blockchain. So if you were to try and hack a block, you have to hack everyone on the network's block and blockchain and rework it before anyone on the chains or on the network notices it, which is almost impossible to do. That is not to say there haven't been hacks relating to blockchain, but the premise of the tool is essentially that. To summarize this point, blockchain is kind of like a line of Thomas the Tank Engine toys where each train in the line has a unique data and information tied to it and no two trains are the same. If I wanted to remove or change a train, it would mess up the trains who are attached after that train and it wouldn't work. Another key part of the blockchain are tokens. A token is a simple programmable digital unit of value that is recorded on the blockchain. So for example, Bitcoin is a token and is probably the most well-known token. These tokens have standards kind of like how there is a gold standard or U.S. dollar standard so that the value of those tokens can be measured against something that can be quantified. It doesn't really matter what form these tokens take, and they can take on a lot of different forms representing basically anything. Some examples of these include cryptocurrency, fiat currency, sort of like Canadian dollars and U.S. dollars, reputation points, characters, artwork, shares in a company, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. As a result of all these different forms tokens can take, it is crucial that there is a robust standard in place so that developers are able to build and incorporate these tokens into different applications, whether cryptocurrency or games or whatever. The most popular standard by far is the Ethereum standard. Very briefly, Ethereum is an extremely popular technology for blockchain applications involving development of an open-ended, decentralized software applications. These generally involve smart contracts and decentralized applications that are built by developers using the software with the hopes of eliminated any downtime, fraud, or other interference, usually involving third parties that is often found in more centralized systems. Ethereum and its creator, Russian-Canadian Vitalik Buterin, hope that applications Using Ethereum will eventually be picked up on the mass and change the way in which the world transacts and interacts with one another. So where Bitcoin created the blockchain, Ethereum is looking to expand its usage exponentially. So going back to the standards, ERC20, a standard based in Ethereum, is arguably the largest standard for many fungible tokens and what they are often based off of. This helps establish that tokens of the same class hold the same value as one another like how we know that a Looney has the same value as any other loony in production, no matter what year it came out, what the condition is, whatever. So for non-fungible tokens, there is a different Ethereum standard that is used, ERC-721. that pro- This provides the basic functionality of how to track and transfer these tokens, since these are often involving unique items like physical property, virtual collectibles, or quote negative value assets, kind of like loans, they require a different standard than that of fungible tokens. So I keep using this term, non-fungible, but what does that mean? The difference between fungible tokens and non-fungible tokens is essential to help explain why NFTs have been booming in value lately. So a fungible token means something that can be replaced by any identical item. They are perfectly interchangeable with other fungible items of the same class. Again, the simplest example is money. If I have a $10 bill and you have a $10 bill, we would be able to trade our bills with each other and still have the same thing at the end of it. Although the bills might be different, maybe mine was fresh off the press and yours was a few years old, they both are $10 and hold $10 in value. In the world of blockchain, Bitcoin is the best and most popular example of a fungible token. The value of one Bitcoin equals the value of another Bitcoin. A Bitcoin is a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin. This is what helps make cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin, viable as the means to transact through the blockchain economy. Non-fungible means something that is unique and can't be replaced by something else. It is a one-of-one, so no two NFTs are the same. This is what has attracted a number of artists, collectors, and other fans of different mediums to the usage of these tokens. So again, fungible tokens, like Bitcoin, can be exchanged one for one. Non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, are unique, and each one is different than any other one. So with this in place, we can dive into why that JPEG of some digital art sold for $69 million. Although the boom that has led to this crazy sale has picked up some steam recently, NFTs have been around for a long time in the blockchain world. A collectible game called CryptoKitties was the first mainstream implementation of NFTs. The game involved trading and collecting unique cartoon cats that had different designs that made each one unique, with some being rarer than others as a result. It is written into the Ethereum blockchain and reached a peak in kind of 2017, when the transaction traffic of these cats actually slowed the entire Ethereum transaction network down, leading to some people worrying about the cats pushing out more serious transactions in the Ethereum ecosystem. In its simplest sense, an NFT is a digital token that is, quote, minted or created by attaching it through metadata to some digital asset. In the CryptoKitties example, the kitty itself is the digital content and the NFT is something that I can purchase that will say in the blockchain, hey, look what Glenn has. Each token is unique and has an owner. We are going to explore what ownership of these tokens means shortly, but for now, just think of it kind of as a receipt rather than the item on the receipt. After CryptoKitties, other NFTs took off, including NBA Top Shot, which are tokens of famous NBA highlight clips that people can buy in the blockchain, and more recently, other parts of the internet culture, including Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter's first tweet, uh, Nyan Cat, the old internet video sensation, and now onto things like Beeple's and Grimes's artwork. A large part of this current boom is the attachment of other cryptocurrencies that NFTs inherently have. So when the price of Ether, Ethereum's native cryptocurrency, which is used to fund computers completing tasks on the Ethereum network, kind of like when they create the hashes or do the proof of work, or Bitcoin goes up, a kitty valued at one Bitcoin or one Ether is now worth tens of thousands of dollars. So think of all of these NFTs as trading cards, like Pokemon or Magic the Gathering. But these are made for people who have made millions of dollars in the crypto boom in the last half decade. As it was peaking at the beginning of March, that is when Beeple's painting sold for 69.3 million or 42,329.453 ether. As with any new tech, the legal field is playing a bit of catch up and trying to grow with the continued development and increasing uses of NFTs. The main legal questions that have started to be asked relate particularly to the copyright around these tokens and how it should be implemented, if at all, to the digital pieces. Most of the confusion around copyright and NFTs relates to the fact that NFTs are often advertised as buying the token, which carries some ownership connotations with it. However, owning an NFT does not actually grant you the ownership rights to the original work automatically. Just like how blockchain works as kind of a digital ledger, an NFT can better be thought of as a digital receipt, indicating that you own a version of that NFT. All an NFT is, is a collection of metadata that ties the token to the original file. In the case of Beeple's painting, the buyer only bought the receipt to the digital art, not the art itself. Anyone can go and Google the art and I'm sure download a high resolution JPEG of it. But the difference between that and what the buyer bought is what is reflected in the blockchain. The buyer has his receipt verified by the blockchain and unless he was to sell it, no one else can have that same claim. This concept is confusing and abstract, and kind of hard to wrap your head around, but let's look at how copyright usually works in a traditional sense. Let's say that David Hockney paints a new painting. The original painting has a value that is non-fungible. It is unique to itself. In Canada, like the US, the copyright protection for a work starts as soon as it is created on the basis that the conditions in the Copyright Act are met and lasts until 50 years after the death of the creator. Briefly, if any of the following conditions are met, the Copyright Act deems that copyrights shall attach in Canada to the work. So these criteria include that the author of the work was a citizen at the time it was created of a treaty country. So what a treaty country is, is a country like Canada, or one that is defined in the Berne Convention, uh, one that is part of the Universal Copyright Convention or one that is part of the World Trade Organization. So any of those member countries count as a treaty country. So it involves quite a lot of the countries of the world. Another way that the Copyright Act can deem that copyright shall attach is that if the maker at the date of the making of the work either was a citizen, if a person, or had their headquarters in a treaty country, if a corporation. For published work, the first copies of the work were published in a treaty country or in the case of an architectural design occurred in a treaty country, then again, the Copyright Act deems that copyright shall attach in Canada to that work. So with this in mind, copyright helps to give Hockney rights to any of the subsequent uses of his painting that he just painted. So for example, if Hockney decided to do a limited run of prints of that painting, copyright will attach to that. So while the non-fungible painting is hanging in some museum or some billionaire's house, Hockney can continue to make money off the original work by producing limited number prints or something similar. But since he owns the copyright, only Hockney could reproduce his work. If anyone else were to do so, they would be in violation of copyright law. That is, assuming Hockney has not made any licensing agreements for this example. So think of NFTs as exactly the same thing. Much like a signed print of a Hockney painting is not the same as the title to the actual painting, an NFT does not transfer any title of ownership of the original work to the buyer of the NFT. It is simply a signed receipt in the blockchain that proves that you own a unique version of some piece of work. Since Beeple has only sold one NFT of his painting, the buyer still has the only NFT of it. However, Beeple, as the creator still owns the original version. Just like any other collectible, it is the scarcity of the object that is driving these prices up, despite nothing stopping these creators from simply creating more NFTs on the blockchain by making copies of the original and selling those as separate NFTs. All they would have to do is rewrite the metadata of a new token for the same content. These tokens will still be, quote, unique as in, they won't have the same metadata as the original receipt or NFT, but they will still be of the same piece of work, aka Beeple's painting. NFTs create new ways that artists can continue to make profit off of their work into the future. Since it's in the blockchain, everyone can see who the previous owners were, as well as the creator. So for example, part of what these NFTs might allocate is a percentage of any future sales that can go back to the original artist using Ethereum self-executing smart contracts. So for example, the ERC 1190 standard for Ethereum does this by allowing creators of the art or any of the unique digital objects that can be NFTs, so like NBA highlight clips mentioned earlier, to automatically benefit every time the rights to that object are used. It would not matter when these rights are used, the smart contract self-executes and will transfer the funds back to the owner In some form or another, usually through the blockchain. However, there are some potential issues arising as this boom has been occurring. One of them is the creation and sale of NFTs that have no relation to the actual content creator. There have been some cases where NFTs have been made for digital art that has simply been put on the marketplace without any consent or even knowledge of the actual content creator itself. Simply having an ownership claim in the blockchain Which is essentially what an nft is does not mean that it is a legit claim and people have started to get in on the hype train that is nfts right now even if doing so means stealing others works the interesting thing about all of this turns on the idea of what ownership is if i were to make an nft of an otherwise copyrighted work is that an infringement of that copyright or is it something else although in the cases like the above example where an artist has reported that their work has been tokenized and sold on a marketplace the marketplace has simply taken down that token the question becomes is that actual copyright infringement and again before we go into this i want to reiterate that this is not legal advice do not try this at home but if we look at nfts as simply metadata linked to content like a Hockney painting and not a copy of the painting itself it becomes tricky to see where the law would stand on this if i download an image of a Hockney piece produce some metadata linked to it, and then tokenize that data through a service. What is that action really? Some bloggers and researchers in the field have suggested that since you're not making an original copy available, just a non-fungible token of it, it will not trigger copyright laws doing so. However, any reproduction of content like Beeple's work would be an infringement. So with all this in mind, what's the point of these NFTs? If I don't actually own the content, why are people spending these insane amounts on them? And I think it really depends on who you are when you get asked that question. So for example, an artist can use NFTs to support themselves by being able to enter a marketplace they might not otherwise have access to and earn profits off of their work. Sure, people like Grimes and Jack Dorsey are already very wealthy and have ways to market their work outside of the NFT marketplace. But many smaller artists do not, and these NFTs could help them. As mentioned earlier as well, NFTs can allow artists to continue to make profit for each time the NFT exchanges digital wallets. On the other side, for buyers, these NFTs are more like bragging rights rather than ownership rights. The Beeple painting was purchased by a large figure in the crypto world who had purchased expensive NFTs in the past as well. There are concerns that these large purchases by long-standing crypto people are inflating the prices of NFTs in an extreme way. But I don't see how this is any different than any other collector's markets. The rationale when I spend $100 on a record, I know I can listen to for free on YouTube, is not for easiness of listening. I could listen to the same record on Spotify or YouTube for a fraction of the price. Same with downloadable content and video games. I know I don't need certain character skins to play the game. But I think it looks cool and I value it in a way that others might not, even if it doesn't actually hold any real intrinsical value beyond my own enjoyment. My records, just like NFTs, come with kind of a pride of ownership value more than anything else. And when that receipt is written into the blockchain for all to see, that can lead to a large sense of pride or maybe even kind of some light flexing in some people who value that kind of thing. So to wrap this all up, I think these digital assets are great. I think these NFTs are fascinating experiments to how we think of art and what we value in the world as both producers and consumers. The problem at the moment with the NFT boom is that it might be based on a misconception about the ownership status of the digital works. When you buy an NFT, you are buying a digital receipt that has no legal value to the actual ownership of the tokenized object. Beeple still owns the copyright to his art, but someone else owns the only NFT associated with that art. The buyer doesn't care that he simply could Google and find a JPEG of that piece online and download it locally. They care about the unique receipt that will forever show that they were the first ones to own the NFT in the blockchain. To some, albeit the most diehard crypto fans with a lot of cryptocurrency in their digital pockets, those bragging rights are worth every penny, even if they can't hang the piece inside their house. You have been listening to Pro Bono Radio at Queen's Law. I'm your host, Glenn. Queen's Law Pro Bono Radio discusses interesting and off-center legal topics that aim to make legal discussions more accessible to you. However, this podcast does not contain legal advice. Pro Bono Students Canada is a student organization. This podcast was prepared with the assistance of PBSC Queen's Law student volunteers. PBSC students are not lawyers, and we are not authorized to provide legal advice. We are exploring legal topics that we think you'd find interesting and if you require legal advice, please consult with an actual lawyer.